Amen. You can have a seat. All right. Uh, hope you've dried off a little. Uh, it deluged there for a little while. Seems like it's letting up just a bit. Just enough time for us to start, and then you leave, and then to start to pour again. So that's kind of how it works here. Uh, glad you're here. If you're um, with us, grab your Bibles. Uh, go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. If um, uh, you have trouble getting there, um, just look straight in the back. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> At least I'm not distracted at all, so that's good. Nah, Sarah Lee, we're good. Um, so, as you're trying to find James, uh, James chapter 1, we're going to we'll be the, uh, get there in a second. Let me just kind of give you a quick, brief recap, right? Um, James is the half-brother of Jesus, right? He's the pastor of the church there in Jerusalem. And, and, and what he is doing is he's pastoring his people who are in the intense time of persecution and, and famine um, there, there's all kinds of horrible things happening in their culture that they are, are struggling against and struggling with, and they've pretty much all been driven out of Jerusalem, and they're being dispersed, and uh, they're talking about real faith. What does real faith look like? It's going to be one of those mornings. Cool. Somebody got a dentist appointment? You don't want to forget about it? Okay. Don't want to miss that. Okay, careful, man. I've been... I've been known to threaten to slash tires, so you should be careful. All right. All right, let's try this again. (laughs) James, chapter 1. Find the book of James. Find the book of James. We're going to talk about Pastor James, half-brother Jesus. Talk about real faith, what real faith looks like, because you know everywhere you look, people are like, I got faith. You know, I'm I'm faithful. I got got faith. So, so, but we we don't want imitation faith. Uh, We don't want, like, this convenient faith. Uh, We want real faith. Um, Faith that can... All right, turn your stupid phone off already. You, you can't possibly be that important. Mm. We are here because what the word says is important. You know what the word says? So my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger because the anger of humans doesn't produce the righteousness God desires. I got you. I was making phone calls to my son back there with his phone on on purpose. Woo, it got uncomfortable in here. Y'all got quiet? Some uncomfortable laughter? I mean, I watched at least 20 of you reach for your phone to make sure it was on silent. <laughs> Sorry, my hands are so sweaty. I did that first service, I was like shaking the whole time. I'm like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to look like a complete schmoo. Oh. But, but seriously, right? I mean, some of you, some of you, some of you, let's be honest, some of you probably felt bad for the poor person who couldn't find their phone, right? Some of you were appalled that I would call that out. Some of you might have felt bad for me. I don't know. I mean, who is it worse for? Is it worse for the person whose phone it was, or is it worse? I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I was a jerk, though, wasn't I? <laughs> I'm so glad that worked. Now, the funny part is there were a couple of you in here that were like, yeah, let them have it. <laughs> Turn your stupid phone off. Um, <laughs> but, like, every single one of you got sucked into the emotion, though, which is awesome, because that was the goal. Here, get this for a second. My character, my personal character as a pastor, as a man who follows Christ, my character in that 10, 20, 30 second chunk, how I behaved right there, 
could possibly have ruined anything that I'm going to say for the next 25 minutes, right? Even worse, how I behaved in that 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds could have ruined everything I've done for the last 25 years. Um, James is very clear, and we're going we're gonna to read it again because you actually did not hear me read scripture. You were all looking at me like, this is it. This is when it happens. He loses it right here. And we get to be a part. <laughs> uh, hey, kudos to you. You guys, way better response than first service. I'm so proud of you. And I know, I know. Come on, let's be honest. Somebody, somebody, out of the 800 or so people who have sat through this message, somebody tomorrow is going to email me like, I can't believe you spoke to that person that way. It was a joke. It was a joke. Luke was in on it, right? Luke, you were in on it, right? All right, good. Thank you. Thank you, so far. We were, It was a joke. Woo! All right, let's get to what matters most. That was fun. All right. We should just pray and go home. That was awesome. James, chapter 1, verse 19, again, says this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Take note of this, everyone. And if you, if you write in your Bible, do, 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 this is where you want to write. You want to circle everyone, and above it, you want to write in capital letters, me. Understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. He says, take note of this. Understand this. There are no exceptions to this. Every single person is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Passage often gets applied just straight up relationships. That's okay. I think those principles are accurate and there. Um, he's telling us you need to listen and listen faster than you talk, faster than you, you get angry. And that's, that's fine and good. It applies to relationships. And it will actually come up again later in the book. He tells us then, con carefully consider how you speak. Make sure that your tone, your words, your energy. So slow to speak, considering how you speak. That's going to come up in future chapters as well. But, but what's interesting is there is a a, a very subtle thread through our passage this morning, James 1, 19 to 27, God bless you, that goes through, see, I'm still nice, see, see, you got that, okay, good, um, but there's this very subtle thread of anger that, that's going to go through the passage this morning, and he says, slow to anger, why does he tell us that we need to be slow to anger? Because the truth of the matter is that our flesh often reacts faster than the Holy Spirit, and he's not telling us not to get angry telling us not to sin in our anger. Why? He says very clearly, because human anger doesn't accomplish the righteousness that God desires. The implication then is that if it's not human anger, there is actually an anger that can accomplish the righteousness that God desires. And unfortunately, when anger is spoken about in church, the little lawyer in us instantly runs to, well, I have righteous anger. Well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Let's evaluate how God demonstrates his righteous anger in the Old Testament. Let's demonstrate how Jesus demonstrate, uh, demonstrates his, his anger in, in the New Testament. The, the reality is that when, when anger comes from God, it comes in such a way that defends, protects, and preserves those people who may not be able to defend, protect, and preserve themselves. And immediately, right, when we think about Jesus and his holy anger, we immediately think of the temple. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. He approaches the place, the public place of worship, the place that is the image of the presence of God for his people. 
The place that is built in such a way that it actually welcomes everybody from every nation to a certain part of the temple, the, the outer courts, the courts of the Gentiles. And that, that surrounded the temple proper. And that, it was huge. That was, you're talking 35 acres of ground. Any Gentile, any foreigner could come into that place, and that's as close as they could get to the very presence of God. But they would come into that place, and, and it was ornately de- decorated. It was, it was incredibly built. There were huge columns that were 35 feet tall, and they were so wide it would take three men to fully extend to wrap their arms around it. And the purpose was so that these foreigners could draw near to the very presence of God, to the place of worship. The problem is, the merchants and the money changers had made it look more like a mall than a place of worship. So if you were to go to the temple, and everybody was required to, to go to the temple and pay their temple tax, but you couldn't pay in your currency. Right? You had to take your currency and exchange it with the money changer and get the temple currency in order to pay the temple tax. Well, it wasn't that convenient for the money changers who just so happened to charge an exorbitant amount of an exchange rate that always leaned in their favor. So they're making pure profit as they exchanged your money for the, the temple coins, which you would then take and give for your temple tax. And so you're basically being double taxed. You show up at the temple with your offering. I mean, that's one of the crazy things to think about. You have to bring your offering from your home to the temple and hope that it doesn't get like injured or marred or scuffed up on the way because you're only allowed to bring like the, the best of the best when it came to lambs and doves. And I can't get my kids from point A to point B without getting them scuffed up. Forget an offering, right? So you would come to the temple and you would present your offering to the priest and the priest would look at the lamb and be like, ah, yeah, yeah that eyebrow's a little jacked up. Sorry, can't accept it. But I got a good news for you. The priests have already blessed these other lambs over in that pen over there. So if you go see the fellow standing there, I'm sure he could take care of you. And so you bring your, what has now been declared a messed up offering, and you bring it over, and you walk to the fellow at the pen, and the fellow at the pen says, let me see, oh, I see exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, okay, well, tell you what, tell you what, um, um, I, um, I'll give you a discount. If you give me your lamb, I'll take that price off of the price of the lamb here. And, and what's the price of the lamb here? It's kind of like buying a hot dog at a baseball game. How do you possibly pay $12 for a hot dog? Demand. Need. There's demand for this. So, so, okay, I'm going to pay for this land. Cool. So you take out your wallet. Oh, no, no, no. Temple coins only. So you return to the money changer. You do your exchange again. Get ripped off again. You walk back to the fellow at the pen. You give him your, what has been declared, uh, rejected lamb as an offering. He gives you a new lamb. You exchange more money for that. You walk away. And uh, by the way, just so happens, the fellow who's in line behind you, Get your lamb. <laughs> From beginning to end, the moment these foreigners, these Gentiles, would enter into the temple presence, they were being ripped off. They were being fleeced. And Jesus watched this happen. As he watched men and women being cheated in the one place they were supposed to be able to walk into with trust, he grabbed a whip. And he went to work, flipping tables. What he demonstrated was was considered a righteous anger. He was offering protection. He was defending the foreigner's rights and access to worship. 
into prayer. It wasn't this, this quick, fiery, angry anger that just exploded on the scene and Jesus began using all the cuss words that the disciples had been saying. Uh, sons of thunder. I'm pretty sure they swore a little, just saying. They, were, they had potty mouths, just laying that out there. Um, this is a slow burn. This is Jesus watching the religious leaders not just demoralize people, but get in the way of any opportunity of them truly knowing and loving who he was and what he had come to do for them. He was defending those who weren't able to defend themselves. Now listen, that's not human anger. You can tell human anger apart from holy anger because human anger is quick and leads to evil. So if your anger is to preserve and defend protect, it helps you do a good thing. But if your anger is misplaced or you're defending and preserving the wrong thing, it leads you to do things that afterwards you're going to regret. Practically speaking, human anger has long-lasting effects. It, it's, I hate using this picture, but it's a picture. It's like a grenade. It's pretty small in size. It doesn't take very long for it to go off. But the effect spreads out far and the effects can go on forever. And many of you know that. Many of you are carrying within your body the shrapnel of an angry mom or an angry dad. Many of you are sitting here like, okay, listen, okay, right, right, right. We talk about anger. I hate when they talk about this stuff in church. It drives me crazy. Okay, but, but I'm only angry occasionally. Cool. A grenade only goes off how long? Stop minimizing it. Stop, stop minimizing. Deal with it. How? Well, he tells us, look at verse 21. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. You know what the opposite of anger is? It's not self-control. It's not like, okay, I won't get angry, I won't get angry, I won't get angry. That doesn't work. Didn't work for the cowardly lion when he kept repeating himself over and over again, right? Yeah, it don't work for you either. It's not self-control. The opposite of anger is humility. The cause of sinful anger is, is pride. It's still using this energy. It's the same energy of defending or protecting or preserving. But the problem is you're using that energy to defend, protect, and preserve yourself. So, so what you do then is you have to protect your image. You have to defend your argument. You have to preserve your standing. And so what we need in order to combat this anger is, is, is not willpower. It's not self-control. It's not read this book and do these seven steps. It's humility. He tells us right here, you need to humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Humbly receive. What does that mean? It, it, to receive, this, this word receive means this. It means um, after you haven't seen a friend for a long time, and they come into your presence, and you, you, you can open up your arms, and you're going to receive them, you're going to welcome them, you're going to embrace them. Um, it means to uh, be hungry and have somebody offer you food, and you're like, oh, thank you very much, and you receive the food. Um, in a very different sense, it, it means to have a doctor evaluate you and see that you need surgery, and so you submit yourself to the doctor's orders and say, okay, I, I'm, I'll, I'll receive the surgery so, because I, I'm, I, I need, the, in my soul, I need this relationship, so I'm going to welcome the friend. I need the food, so I'm going to welcome the food. And I need this surgery, so I'm going to welcome the, the, the surgery in order to, 
have its way in me. So the idea is to humbly receive. The idea is to, to open your arms to it. Humbly receive what? The implanted word. What is the implanted word? If you go back to verse 18, it's introduced to us in this way. Talking about God, he says, By his own choice, he gave us birth by the word of truth, so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So, so we were birthed by this word of truth. And when we are birthed by that word of truth, that word is now established in us. It's now implanted in us. That's the word of the gospel. And the word of the gospel, as it is in us, continues to testify to the truths of the gospel. So then he really, James really like causes us to be like, what is he saying? So humbly receive uh, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Clear as mud, right? I mean, that one makes complete sense. So, so let, me, let me help you with that, okay? So what does it mean? How does it mean it's able to save my souls? Years ago, we kind of walked through the, the different um, steps, the different pictures, the different timetables of our own personal salvation. Okay, so there's three. It's I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. And all three of those things are absolute truth. I have been saved. That's justification. That's that moment in your life when you have recognized that you are a sinner and you are helpless to do anything about it yourself. And you recognize that God loved you and sent his son Jesus Christ for you. And you put your faith and trust in him and him alone to reconcile your relationship with God. That's justification. That is, you have been saved. Praise God. You are being saved. That means the work of the Bible, the work of the truth of God's word, the work of the Holy Spirit within us is continuing to change us, transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. We are being sanctified. We are growing in our faith. You have been saved, justified. You are being saved, sanctified. You are growing in your faith, and you will be saved. That's that magical day when you lay your head down for the last time and close your eyes, and the next time you open your eyes, Jesus is right there. That's the glorification stage of your salvation. That is the day we all long for, the day we all hope for, the, all, the day we all look forward to. But all three of those are talking about salvation. You have been saved, you are being saved, you will be saved. What he is talking about here in this text is, is you, this word of truth that gave us our new birth back in verse 18, that it saved us, it's implanted in us, and now it's able to give us the needed change, the sanctification, the growth. Here's a fascinating thing, right? It says... For human anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. And then right here it says, but the implanted word can save your souls. So you need to humbly receive it. You need to hear the message of the gospel that has been planted in you. And let it change you. We never, ever, ever, outgrow our need for the gospel. I, I, I've, I've come across this a number of times, even here, where people are like, ah, man, Frankie, you always talk about the gospel. That's all fine and good, but I just want to be a good husband. Just tell me how to be a good wife. Tell me, tell me how to be a good student. Tell me how to be a good boss, a good employee. Tell me how I should make financial decisions. Tell me how I should pursue the will of God. Tell me how to deal with trials during this period of time. Tell me how I should vote. Tell me how I should, cool, 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 cool. Well, we can do that, but you ready? Okay, this is where you start. You are a total moral failure. Man, I didn't get any amens for that in the first service either. I don't know why. <laughs> That's where the gospel starts. You are a total moral failure. Guys, it, it took nothing less than the death and the resurrection of the Son of God 
be safe. As you reflect on the implanted word, as you reflect on, on, on the gospel truth, what you find is you are a total, an absolute moral failure. You have, you have nothing. You add nothing. You started with nothing. Which sounds really dark and hopeless. But even though all of that's true, you are ridiculously loved. Enough that the Son of God would humbly leave all that heaven had to offer behind. To come and live as one of his created beings. And then take in himself a death that he didn't deserve. Literally the death you should have died. You are ridiculously loved. And so as we consider the gospel message of us being a total moral failure and yet ridiculously loved, then we need to remember who we are. We need to remember who he is. We need to remember what he's done, what he's doing, and what he will continue to do. And what James is saying is you have got to find ways to humbly receive that gospel. Human anger will not produce the righteousness that, that, that pleases God. You've got to find ways to humbly receive the gospel. How? How can I do that, Frank? I mean, do I read a certain version of the Bible? I, here's the problem. is that When we hear that question, we tend to run right to study techniques. So I need, to, I need to read a chapter a day. Do I need to read for 30 minutes a day? Do I need to read just a verse a day? Am I supposed to spend more time in the morning or more time in the, in the evening? Am I supposed to listen to good gospel music? Am I supposed to listen to the reading of God's word? Am I supposed to listen to other guys preach besides just you? Yes, the answer is yes to that one, by the way. Am I supposed to memorize scripture? Am I supposed to meditate on scripture? Am I to, yes, all of those things. But when he talks about receiving with humility the implanted word which is able to save your souls, that is way more a character issue then it is a study issue. It's approached the gospel truth with humility. And then be ruthless about the sin that is exposed when you do that. Look, verse 22. Very common verses, but maybe you're hearing this in a different way this morning. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone who, who looks at his own face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and then immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. James says, listen, it is not enough for it just to be a study issue. It's not enough for you to go to the Word to get your devotional fix, or your theological fix, or your emotional fix for the day. It's not enough. It's not enough just to listen or to receive the Word. You've got to do something with it. And then he uses this awesome picture that we're all familiar with. He's like, man, if you're the one who receives the Word but does nothing with it, he's like the guy who walks up to the mirror and spends time. He's like, okay, there we go. Okay. All right, okay, okay, all right, all right. And then an hour later, he can't pick himself out of a lineup. He, he's the guy who walks, like, okay, okay, I got an interview today, I better look good. Oh, no, I got eggs on my shirt. Oh, man. I'm here to interview for the position. Big, giant eggs sticking out of his shirt. What are you doing? How foolish is that? 
And what James is applying this to is going back to the implanted word. As you stare into the implanted word, as you allow the gospel to continue to work within you, to be transforming you, to be sanctifying you in this moment, the opportunity is there as you examine yourself to be ruthless about the sin that you find there. <laughs> I mean, dude, you're, you're, you've drooled all over yourself. What are you going to do about that? Your hair is out of place. Or in my case, my eyebrows. <laughs> it happens. But then we look, we walk away. And James says, that can't be. That's not real faith. That's pretend. That's you playing a game. That is as foolish as the guy walking and having something hang out of his nose and be like, I'm going to go meet a girl now without ever fixing the thing hanging out of his nose. There's something inside of us. There's something in our sin nature. There's something in our heart that doesn't want to see who we really are. And so when we come face to face with it, we quickly forget. And what James is saying is you've got, you've got to be working to overcome the tendency to, to forget the truth. You, you can't be the person who picks up the mirror, stares at it, puts it down, and then just goes on like nothing ever happened. And he tells us how we're supposed to do that. He says, this is what you need to do. You need to be the one who looks intently, it says. Intently. What does that word mean? That word means to bend over or to stoop. That's how you should be looking at the gospel truth. That's how you should be looking at the word of God. Intently, bending over, stooping. Maybe, maybe this will help you. This picture will help you. I don't know if you're, any of you had this. Uh, so being a parent, there was a couple times we'd be walking as a family, walking as a family. All right, we got them all. Got the two legs going because we got four of them. So you got to keep them all corralled, right? You got to kick this one over here. And then all of a sudden it's like, I got three. Missing one. And you turn around. And there's some little guy over here, he's like this, because he found an anthill. He just wants to understand it from beginning to end, and look at that, look at all, look at all those ants. That's what it means to look intently. When's the last time you did that with the gospel? So you, you need to be looking intently, you need to be looking persistently, you need to be persevering in it, the word is to keep on doing it, to continue in an activity and a state. We'll talk about how to do that in a second. The next word he says is, but you also need to be the one who does it. And, and, and this, is, this is, the word does is actually the Greek word that we get our English word poet from. The one who does it. You think about a poet who sits down and he's filled with this inspiration of whatever he's got, and he's got to create, and so he sits down to, to write the poem, and he's got to write the poem. I mean, he's got to do it. And, and, and what James is saying is, it's inside of you. You've got to be one who is going to, to do it. You're going to be the one who produces from what's inside of you. But again, the problem is, we, we tend to keep ourselves from, from the, 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 the the truth as it reflects back on us, and so we reflect, when it reflects on us, we tend to forget very, very, very quickly. So how do you keep from forgetting what you saw? How do you, how do you, how do you get to the place where it's like, okay, every, uh, I'm going to remember that, I'm going to remember that, I'm going to remember that. It's like me with names. It's like I can try every trick. How am I going to, how am I going to remember what the gospel pointed out to me today? How am I going to remember what the mirror said this morning? How am I going to remember that it said that, that this eyebrow is a little higher than this eyebrow? How am I going to remember? How am I possibly going to keep from forgetting this? Take the mirror with you. 
That's what it means to persevere in it. There's not a time you shouldn't be looking at it. You should be persevering, considering the truth again and again and again. The truth of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords in power, humbled himself to die in your place. And it was such a traumatic and big and huge and monstrous event in creation that when he died, the heavens wept. The earth shook because they saw their creator exchanging himself for us. The earth shook again three days later. And he came back and said, I ain't done yet. But as you reflect on that gospel truth, man, you, you have no reason to cling to your pride. So, so you set it aside. You repent. You seek forgiveness from God and you seek forgiveness from others. And, and the person, he tells us, the person who does this, who's always ridding themselves of the moral filth and available evil by humbly receiving the gospel, by never walking away from it, never forgetting uh, what needs to be addressed, but intensely and intentionally peering into it, to the people who do that, they are looking into now what is for them the perfect law of freedom, and that person will be blessed in what he does. Let me hit this real quick. He's saying the law of freedom. For many of us, those two things don't go together, right? The law and freedom. Freedom means I can do whatever I want. Freedom means there's no speed limit. Law says there's a speed limit. <laughs> How does that work? How could it be law and freedom? So the problem is that freedom doesn't mean no restrictions. Your, your freedom, that freedom comes within the right restrictions. Do you think a fish swims around like, I hate the water? No, he's able to flourish because that's what he was created for. When we look into the perfect law of freedom, what we are seeing is the gospel saying, this is what you were created for. I know how you can flourish. But he also says you're going to be blessed. So, uh, studied hard on this one. It says the person who does this is going to be blessed. What's the answer to that? What, what is that blessing? I don't know. Two possible options keep coming up. Uh, I think they're very similar. Both of them work. First one is this. That if we continue to look at the gospel that gives us freedom, we continue to allow it to reflect into our lives, that we continue to yield and repent and confess our sins, we continue to be this new creation that God has saved us to be, we continue to look more and more like Christ through the sanctification process that is, that is ours now as we are being saved, that one day when we stand before God, there's a big old smile on his face as he looks at us. I'm good with that. I don't know about you, I'll take that any day. The other option is that there's a big old smile on his face today when I do those things. Well, what does that look like? I mean, how do you know? I don't know. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe here's this. Uh, my wife really likes me today. You know why? I mean, I mean I'm, I'm ruggedly handsome for one thing. I mean, we've been over that. But no, the reason is because despite myself, I've had to be humble about some things. And what it's done is it's improved our relationship in incredible ways. So I'm reaping the smile of God in my relationship with my wife. My kids, my kids like me right now. Why? Because in my relationship with my children, I had to go to them and apologize and be honest and open and transparent and say, I screwed up. Forgive me, please. What um, James is trying to tell us in this text, that you can talk about having real faith as much as you want. But real faith going to produce real religion. 
Let me read the last couple of verses and then kind of unpack that a little bit because that always makes us a little uncomfortable when we talk about the word religion, right? It says this in verse 26. If anybody thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless. He's just deceiving himself. A pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. We know we have real faith when we see real religion break out in us. And here's the problem, okay? Um, So the culture today, uh, particularly the Christian culture of all things, has grabbed this word religion and redefined it as some horribly evil thing. And let me be clear. I I understand that it brings some connotations, so I'm going to give it its proper definition because I believe that we should still use words that have the actual meaning no matter what culture tries to force upon us, okay? The word religion does not mean this meaningless activity or this moral argument or this traditional attendance of a certain place that we go to and we count on those things to take our, our, our heavenly score and bump it up a few points. So if I do this, bonus points. If I do this, the old lady cross the street, that's five points. And, and so it's this empty religion that means nothing. And, and who gets the glory in the empty religion? We do. Now he tells us what real religion is right in that text we just read. If you think you are religious without controlling your tongue, well, that's useless religion. So you know what real religion is? It's a, relig- it's a religious person. It's a person who has real faith. It's a person whose life has begun to produce the fruit of a tongue that is under control. Gets right back to that anger thing he was talking about earlier in verse 19. So I would ask you, do you have control of your tongue? We'll certainly talk about that in coming weeks as well. Continues, and this is pure and undefiled religion before God the Father. Look after orphans and widows in their distress. He says this is an opportunity not just for you to control your tongue, but real religion looks like when you care for other people, particularly widows and orphans. Widows and orphans in the day of James, and they, they, they had no way of providing for themselves. They were most destitute and left outside. And he says not only is it in their normal condition as widow and orphan, but these are widow and, widows and orphans who are in their distress. So they're experiencing this particular difficult time. And he says this is real religion. When, when you go and you You generously give of your time, of your talents, and of your treasure to serve these people who can never pay you back. It does not, and I have to be really careful, um, it's not us. There's outside influences that that make me want to say things that I should be really careful of. So just know this, I'm just trying to speak truth without accusing anybody. But there is a, a, a tendency, I'll say a tendency, for places of churches like ours to get to the place where we have a list of all the widows and all the orphans, and then there's somebody who's responsible, like, okay, here you go. Um, and they open the door. They don't expect you. They open the door and look, you're like, well, hello, how are you? My name is Frank. I'm from Union Temple Bible Church. I'm just here visiting the widows and the orphans. How you doing? You good? Good. Okay. And then as they walk away from the door, they're like, check, next widow. Oh, no. To care for. To serve love to be generous in that time, treasure, and talent of those people who can't possibly pay you back. To control your tongue. And then, then he lands with a resounding right hook to the jaw. 
real religion is to keep oneself unstained from the world. I have good news, and I have bad news. Start with the bad news. To tell someone to keep themselves unstained from the world is like telling someone to go swim but not get wet. It's not going to happen. You're going to get stained. This, we're we're going to live in this world. It's going to get on us. So, so what's this telling us to do? Well, it's telling you to clean yourself up. Eh? Can't clean yourself up. What it's telling us to do is to keep being cleaned. Well, how will we continue to be cleaned? Glad you asked. By intentionally, humbly receiving the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Continuing to peer into that mirror and as it reflects back on us the things that we need to own, we need to repent of, we need to confess, then we do that and we do that quickly. We allow the Holy Spirit of God to transform us and change us and sanctify us through the working of the word as he convicts and testifies the truth and brings our own sanctification. Let me me close with a picture. I don't think it's possible, Frank. You don't know how I act. I got you. I made fun of a guy earlier. His name was one of the sons of thunder. His name is John. One of the apostles. In, in John chapter 9, you have this awesome moment where Jesus and the disciples are kind of walking. And, and it seems like John comes running to Jesus. He's like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, hey, listen. There's a dude over there talking about you. But he's not in our group. Can I go tell him to stop? And Jesus is like, what? No. Just because he's, he's not against us, it's cool. Let him go. Oh, man, that was my chance. Maybe five verses later, the disciples are rejected in a town of Samaria. John runs back to Jesus, and these are his words. Jesus, they rejected us. Come on, let me call fire down from heaven to wipe them out. And Jesus is like, are you kidding me? No, that's not how we do things. So that's John. A son of thunder. He gets the nickname for a purpose. I would say he might not understand what it means to care for those who can't care for themselves. I would say he probably doesn't understand what it means to be careful with the words that he speaks. I would, I would probably say he's, he's a little on the edge of being stained in the world because he's reacting out of that human anger, right? Well, here's the fascinating thing. If you fast forward through the New Testament, you get to these three books. They start with numbers. One, two, three. First, second, third, John. That's the Apostle John, the son of thunder. And as you read it, well, forget about as you read it. You know what he's become known as? The apostle of love. And actually, if you read through 1 John, and, and you're doing it with this mentality, it's like, okay, son of thunder, okay, can I tell this guy to shut up? Can I call down fire to just consume them where they stand? And then you read 1 John, you're like, it's almost funny. Because he uses the word love and how we're supposed to love other people and love them and love our brothers and love our sisters. And we don't have love. We ain't got nothing. God's love. And that's what, he, just goes, he uses the word love so many times. How did that happen? How did that happen? Oh, here, here you get to the end of the, the gospel of John. And, and John is actually one of the few disciples who gets anywhere near the cross as Jesus is being crucified. And there as Jesus is being crucified he, and, and, and his life is, is, is just in the balance. He is He's, he's fully, fully received the wrath of God in his shoulders. He's, he's experiencing torment and pain that you and I will never know. What comes to mind for him as he looks out at the people who are standing in front of the cross? Oh. 
my mom. Jesus is being put to death, proclaiming to be the son of God. How do you think they're going to treat his mom after he's gone? So from the cross, he looks and he sees his mom. He sees the son of thunder, John. He says to them, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mom. In that moment, what Jesus was doing is saying, man, I need you, John, to care for my mom. She's going to need it. What led to that moment? How, how, does, how does son of thunder calling fire from heaven to destroy people turn into the apostle of love, turn into the apostle who's going to care for Jesus' mom? How, how does that happen? Uh, not only do you get to spend all that time with Jesus, but he got to watch the sacrifice of the Lamb of God on that cross where he knows he should have been hung. He gets to see and hear the words of mercy and forgiveness come from the mouth of the Son of God. He gets to watch as he's laid in the tomb and then victoriously comes back from the dead. It completely transformed him as he looked at his life and the real life gospel right in front of him. And you know what he becomes? He becomes a person who controls his tongue. Hey, listen, we need to love our brothers and sisters. Love them, love them. I'm telling you, we gotta love them because God loved us first, so we need to love them. He's very clear. First John, read it. It's amazing. And then you need to care for others who can't care for themselves. I've got Jesus, Mom. My responsibility is to take care of her. So, so this is transforming in him. But then, here's the amazing part to keep oneself unstained from the world. He is the same apostle who looked at us and said, listen, You confess your sin. He is so faithful. He is so just. He will forgive your sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness. When you look intently and persevere and then do what the gospel has reflected to you about your own life in repentance, in seeking forgiveness. Oh, there is freedom. There is blessing. As you reach the very smile of God. Father. Oh, God, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. I, you, there is no surprise or secret between us, Father, that, that I just stumble over this all the time. but I'm grateful for forgiveness. I certainly am grateful for your love. I'm grateful for your mercy, your grace. God, I thank you for the kindness that you show to us in these moments where we, where we may fall down a little bit. Where we know that we have come face to face with our sin because we've come face to face with the gospel. Lord, may we not just be hearers may we be doers as well. In Christ's matchless name I pray. Amen. If you stand, if you sing with us, if you need to talk to somebody, we'd invite you to our back corner of prayer.